Um, today, I just want you to recognize where we're at. If there were ever a time that the church needed to take a stand, it's today. There are so many contemporary voices that are trying to mute Bible history, that are trying to mute the message, the good news of Jesus Christ. And as his church, we cannot allow these voices to drown out our Savior. People need to hear the truth. They need to understand that there is a hope and a future for them. But that hope and future only comes through Jesus Christ. Amen? And one of, one of their biggest ploys, as I see it, is their effort to muzzle the gospel. When I look at Scripture, I believe it's the only thing that we can really trust. You know, we have a choice. Do we listen to man or do we listen to God? And hopefully, you're going to listen to God. Amen? One of the scriptures, and this isn't, I'm not in my message yet. One of the scriptures is this, all scripture. Say that with me. All scripture is inspired. Some of the versions say God breathed. It is inspired by God. It is useful to what? Teach us. Teach us what is true. Where do you go for truth? The scripture. It's the only place you're going to be set free. You want to know what boundaries are? For you, where do you go? The Bible. You want to know what a good foundation is? Where do you go? You want to understand about God's love? Where do you go? The Bible. It's there to make us realize what's wrong in our lives. That corrects us when we're wrong. Teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip His people to do every good work. Do we need Scripture? Do you understand why the devil doesn't want it spoken? In school, in the workplace, wherever we go, muzzle, muzzle, muzzle. Would you join me in a short prayer? Father, help us today to understand the truth that's in your word. Help us not to be passive any longer, Lord. Not to allow anyone or any group to shudder the truth in the Bible. I believe, and I, I hope everyone here does, that the Bible is our lifeline. Lord, we must read it, live it, and preach it to those who need to hear. God, help your church today to be the salt and the light. Help us not to be drowned out. But Lord, may we have the courage to be bold, to be strong, and to say what needs to be said in these days that seem so dark. Lord, we love you, and I pray that every person within the hearing of my voice, both in person and online, Lord, that they will be touched today by this message, they will be encouraged, and that you will do mighty works through us and through this message. We pray this all in Jesus' name, and if you agree, would you say amen? amen. With that said, today, I want to encourage you with what I believe the Scripture teaches on the end times. Now, I'm not a student of prophecy in the sense that's all I focus on. I do have a, a basic understanding of it. 
So I'm sharing quite a bit from others today, uh, quite a few scriptures. So if you're trying to take notes, just make sure and jot down the address uh, as I go through this list. But I, I want to share with you how, how the rapture of the church takes place. Is it fact or is it fiction? That's the title of my message, the rapture. Fact or fiction? Um, one of the things, and this is, to me is good news, one of the things that takes place is the rapture happens before the seven-year tribulation. Now, not everybody agrees with me on this, and that's why I'm going through this message today, because I want you to understand how I feel about this, what I think the Scriptures teach on this. And by the way, this is one of the uh, doctrines of the assemblies of God. So if you're wondering about that, it's there. For those who don't know this, the Great Tribulation is a seven-year apocalyptic event that is going to be unparalleled from anything else in history. We've never seen the kind of stuff go on that's going to happen during this period. Bible prophets teach that during the tribulation, the Antichrist's evil is going to go unchecked. Now, if you think about where we're at today, and I don't believe we're in the tribulation yet, if you think about the way that the evil around us has kind of gone unchecked, would you say, whoa, it's going to get worse what, what's it going to look like if it's worse than what we're seeing right now? Wickedness is going to be rampant. There's going to be a final war at the end of this event, and Jesus is going to come back, and of course he wins. That should encourage you right there, right? He is going to destroy his and our enemy, or enemies. It's going to happen after the tribulation, and you can find some of this in Daniel 9, 27, uh, chapter 12, 11, and Ezekiel's chapter 37 to 39. And I only throw that out just in case you want to do a little further study. But before this takes place, some things have to happen. First, and this is my opinion, but I believe that the Bible bears witness to this, and that's what we're going to look at today. The Christians must be removed. All right? How many Christians do we have in this room? The rapture is one of those things that all of a sudden we're going up. And I'll get to this in a minute, but nobody knows the day or the hour. We know the season. We know the general time frame. God gave us a glimpse of that, but we don't know the specific time. Many have tried to identify it and have been in gross error, of course. It didn't happen. Why do the Christians need to be removed? Who lives in us? Ah, the Holy Spirit. So, with our removal, who goes with us? The Holy Spirit. Are you with me? Second Thessalonians 2. Don't you remember that I told you, Paul said, about all this when I was with you? And you know what is holding him back. Who is the him? The devil. The devil is the one that's being held back. And you know what's holding him back for? He can be revealed only 
when his time comes. And by the way, I misspoke. It's not the devil. It is the Antichrist who is being puppeted like by the devil. All right? For this lawlessness is already at work secretly, and it will remain secret until the one who is holding it back steps out of the way. Now, some of the, the versions say that he is taken out of the way. God removes his spirit. Then the man of lawlessness will be revealed, but the Lord Jesus will kill him with the breath of his mouth and destroy him by the splendor of his coming. Now, this, is, this took place in that seven-year period. It kind of looks like it's all bunched together there, but it's talking about the seven-year tribulation. The Antichrist is going to be released after the church is taken up, and I'll get to that in a minute, and then the devil can play his games for seven years unchecked. Let me tell you something. I've heard people say this. You know, I just want to stick around and live through the tribulation. No, you don't. You do not. I'm going to lead all kinds of people to the Lord. You are nuts. It is going to be extremely, extremely, extremely difficult to live through this time period. Unless you're living underground, a hermit for seven years, it's going to be very, very difficult for you to survive. And I'm not going into everything today, but you'll have a good idea of why I believe we're going to be raptured. But Jesus, in the end, is coming back, and he will destroy our enemy. So the Holy Spirit is holding the Antichrist from being loosed. The Holy Spirit who lives in us. That's why we, the people of God, must be removed first for this to happen. The only other way would be if there were some kind of holocaust like what Hitler did with the Jews. And I don't believe that's the case. By the way, the, the word rapture, if you look it up in one of your concordances, you won't find it because it's not in there. The word rapture. What you do find, though, is the word harpazo, which is a Greek word re that reflects a snatching away or a really quick removal. Again, I'll get back to this in a minute. But let me ask you this question. Do you think that God wants to punish those who put their faith and trust in Jesus? What is the tribulation? It's judgment. It's punishment. You see, according to 2 Peter 3, God is not slow to bring judgment. He wants all men to be saved, but there is coming a time when he's going to say, enough. They've had enough time to believe. They've had enough time to put their trust in my son. If they haven't done it, it's too late. And then the end will come. This period that I'm talking about, this apocalypse, is a form of judgment. I don't believe that the faithful are going to be here. Man has had enough time to repent, and the tribulation is for them. Let me prove this to you. 1 Thessalonians 5, 9-11. Oops, I should have had that up there. For God chose to save us through the Lord Jesus Christ. What's that next part say? Oh, not to pour out his anger on us. Christ died for us so that, whether we were dead or alive, when he returns, we can live with him forever. 
So encourage each other and build each other up just as you are already doing. So if Jesus was saying, or I'm sorry, if Paul was saying to the Thessalonians, look, Jesus isn't going to pour his anger out on you. But if we were still here during the tribulation, that's exactly what we would be experiencing. Are you following my logic here? The next part of this, I'm going to jump over to Revelation 3.10. Again, Jesus is speaking to the church in Philadelphia where he says, because you have obeyed my command to persevere, I will protect you from the great time of testing that will come upon the whole world to test. To test who? Those who belong to this world. Do Christians belong to this world? Where is our citizenship? So what is he saying? The people that are going to be tested, and, and that's that word, I mean, if you think about testing, this is really going to be a test. Really? You guys decided you didn't want my son, you didn't want to put your faith in him? Okay. Let's see how it goes for you through the seven-year period. And some will repent, but it's going to be near impossible for them to make it to the end of that seven years without at least giving their lives. Those who belong to this world are the unrighteous, not you and me. Not the Christian, not the righteous. Do you get it? Second, and I don't want to make any biblical argument here, but I'm saying that as I've studied this out and others who've studied Bible prophecy, they believe that there's going to have to be a one-world government for this to take place. Those who've studied this out believe that this is going to require all currency to be the same. Hmm. They're going to need something like maybe a digital currency. Hmm. That will help eliminate the need for the U.S. currency or the Chinese yen. Hmm. To trade, buy, or sell, you're going to need to plug into this new system. You're going to need a number. Here's the part where I'm prefacing the word rumor. I've heard a rumor recently from some who have studied this out that there are some very powerful and prominent figures, not governments, but very influential people who plan to have a world reset within the next couple of years. How could this happen? Well, you might disrupt somebody's supply chain. Clog up what's coming and going. Hmm. Perfect storm? Maybe. Or is it a plot to cause this country to go bankrupt? And if it's the latter, then our government would be spending like there's no tomorrow. Oh, wait, they are. <laughs> the United States 
And when I say this, I'm referring to the Christian United States. The Christian United States is what has kept this one world government from being formed. It's the only thing. So what do they have to do in order for this to take place? They have to demolish this country in the way that we know it and love it. We can't be independent anymore. It has to be a one world government. And the only way for this to take place is for our country to go into a bankruptcy and forcing a reset on the world because our country really drives the world. Our financial status drives the world, as I understand it. So all of this is necessary and would lead to a global currency and a one-world government. Well, golly, Pastor Norm, I thought you said your message was going to be encouraging. <laughs> For those who put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, it is. It is, and that's why I emphasize this. If he's not your Lord and Savior yet, then you better prepare. One way or the other, you better prepare. You better either say yes to Jesus, you better get, get down to business. If you're playing with the devil, you ain't gone. Hello? You got awful quiet on me. If you think you're going to go up in the rapture, and you're living a sinful lifestyle, you are incorrecto. You have to change the way that you're living. You have to believe that Jesus Christ is the only way, the truth and the life, and the only way you're getting there is through him. And that's only going to happen if you begin to follow him. You can't have it both ways. Let's look at this a little more detail. 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 to 18. Now, dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen to the believers who have died so you will not grieve like people who have no hope. He's trying to encourage them. How many have lost loved ones? Julie, good to see you back. Good to see you back. I know, and, and I'll get to this in a minute, I know we're going to see Carmen, and he's coming up, and we're going up with him. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. This is hope and dawn. God bless you. We were praying for you as well. Our loved ones, we're going to meet them. They may be gone, but we're going to see them again real soon, I believe. For since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, we also believe that when Jesus returns, God will bring back with him the believers who have died. Here we go. We tell you this directly from the Lord. We who are still living when the Lord returns will not meet him ahead of those who have died. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven <clears throat> with a commanding shout. With the voice of the archangel. With the trumpet call of God. Now last night we had two ladies in here who had a shofar. And man, they were tooting on those things for two hours. This would have been a good time to have one of those in here. 
first for the Christians who have died. They will rise from their graves. Then, say it with me, together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up, this is my emphasis, in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Then we will be with Him forever, so encourage each other with these words. This word that I've underlined and bolded and put in red is caught up. And that's that word I started with, harpazo. It's a Greek word that means to seize, to catch away or up, to pluck or take by force. We's going to get plucked off the planet. The same word is used in, that's used in 1 Thessalonians 4.17 is also the word used in Acts 8.39. You remember what happened there? Philip, remember? He went out and he spoke to the eunuch. And when he got finished, well, let's just read it. It's easier. When they come up, when, when they came up out of the water, because he just baptized the eunuch, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away. That's that same word. That's that word harpazo, which means what it says. He's, and the eunuch never saw him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Now, we know that Philip at that time wasn't taken to heaven. He was just moved. But I want you to understand the concept here. And the source, of course, of the snatching is the Holy Spirit. Dr. Dave Williams, remember him? He said this, and I quote, The removing of those who are holy is not uncommon in the Bible. Do you know that you're a holy vessel unto God? You've been sanctified by the blood, which means you have been separated, put aside for God's purpose. You are holy to him. For God is holy, we must be holy. In the Old Testament, we see this very thing taking place in the book of Enoch. In the book of Enoch. In the book of Genesis. <laughs> there is a book of Enoch, but it's, it's a different source. Not in the Bible. So Enoch lived how many years? Man, can you imagine that? Woohoo! I know how I feel at the young age of 63. I'm sitting here going, uh-uh, 300 more years? Man, I'd be like, Argh. But he walked in close fellowship with God. That's what I want you to see here. Then, one day he disappeared. Why? Because God took him. God loved him so much. He, he was so proud of Enoch. Because Enoch walked with him. He said, all right, time to come up here. He snatched him away. And they never saw him again. I had a couple other scriptures there to read along with this. That's why it's not the same as what I posted. So the writer of Hebrews 11.5 actually talks about this. And this is what he said. He said, it was by faith that Enoch was taken up to heaven without dying. He disappeared because God took him. For before he was taken up, he was known as a person who pleased God. Now, this word taken up is metatithemy. Say that three times fast. Metatithemy. And it means to translate. 
All right? Literally, to transport. Can you say, beam me up, Jesus? <laughs> That's what it's implying here. It happened with Enoch. It happened with Philip. And the scriptures say it's going to happen to those who believe. First Corinthians 15, 51 and following says, But let me reveal to you a wonderful secret. We will not all die, but we will all be transformed. It will happen in a moment, in the blink of an eye, when the last trumpet is blown. For when the trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised to life, excuse me, raised to live forever, and we who are living will also be transformed. We will take on that new, that glorious body that God has prepared for us. Listen, these bodies were not intended to be forever bodies, at least not after the sin. But the new body that we get will last forever. Again, for further study on this, go to ag.org. Just type in, search, rapture, ag.org. Can you remember that? Assemblies of God, ag.org. If you Google rapture, and I'm trying to address something here. If you Google rapture, this is what's going to come up. The idea of a rapture, as it is currently defined, is not found in historic Christianity, but is a relatively recent doctrine of evangelical Protestantism. Really? Hmm. I just happened to run across a recent scholar who did his dissertation on this. His name is David K. Herbert, and he, he wrote on, and this was the title, Virtually All Church Fathers Believed in Pre-Trib Rapture. Virtually all. And I'm going to post this on our uh, Facebook page. If you want to do any further study, you can read this article this man's paper on this. But he did a lot of research. He went back, looked at the historians, look at, looked at what they wrote, and he has dispelled this rumor, this vicious rumor. Because I believe what it says is a lot of people go, whoa, well, if the early church fathers didn't believe this, why would we today? This must be a myth. It's not. They preached this. They wrote about it. They believed it. The church is going up before the rapture. You still with me? So a good question to ask is, how do we know if some feel that this is not a mid-tribulation or a post-tribulation event? Mid meaning three and a half years in, post meaning after the seven. Here is what I want to say about that. I'm going to take you to Matthew chapter 24, this is Jesus. And he said this. He said, however, no one knows the day or hour when these things will happen. Not even the angels in heaven or the Son himself. Who knows? Only the Father knows. When the Son of Man returns, and I want you to catch this, 
It will be like it was on, in Noah's day. Okay, how was it in Noah's day? There'd never been rain, correct? So they didn't even know what rain was, let alone a flood. So when this crazy old man and his boys are building this giant boat, they're all like, what? Want a beer? They're probably out there. This isn't biblical. That's how I see it. They're probably out there setting their lawn chairs up, watching this old man build this boat. Look at this fool. <laughs> he thinks it's, there's a flood coming. They lived their lives as though there were no consequences for the way they lived. Right up until the day that those clouds started to form. Things changed a little bit at that point. Yes, darkness started to fill the sky, something they hadn't seen. And when it did, they realized, might have helped seeing all the animals being collected as they were heading to the ark. I might have alerted me anyway. Hey, hey, Joe, why is your dog and his dog going over to the boat? It might have had a little impact on them. But when that first drop fell, and that boat was sealed up, that thing, the, the door, which had to have been big, raised God shut the door. Not only did God shut the door, God sealed them in. Yes, they used pitch. They used all this other cool stuff that we know works. But it wasn't just that. God, God did it. That boat was not going to sink because God had it. <laughs> what do you think those people thought after the floods came? For that brief time they were still alive. Whoops. What do you think is going to happen when the church goes up in the pre-trib rapture? What do you think the atheists and the naysayers and all these other wonderful people are going to say when they realize, hey, where would all those zany people go that called themselves Christian? If they have any understanding of the Bible, and many of them do, they're going to recognize, just like they did in the times of Noah, we blew it. We blew it. In those days before the flood, the people were enjoying banquets and parties and weddings right up to the time Noah entered his boat. People didn't realize what was going to happen until the flood came and swept them all away. That is the way it will be when the Son of Man comes. Two men will be working together in the field. One will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding flour at the mill. One will be taken, one left. Let me just say this to you. If Jesus said, nobody knows the day or the hour, that he's returning. And the rapture, or I'm sorry, the tribulation takes place, whether pre-trib, mid-trib, or post-trib. 
three and a half years or seven, what will we know once it starts? If it's mid-trib, we're going to know in three and a half years Jesus is coming back. If it's the full post-trib, then we'd know when it started seven years from now Jesus is coming back. This first time that he comes back for the church, nobody knows he's coming. It's going to be like a thief in the night. And the Bible says this over and over and over again. He can't be a thief if the tribulation's already happened. If the devil has set himself up as the abomination in the place of worship, we know that Jesus is coming back. There's no question about it. So it can't be mid-trib. It can't be after it. I'm sorry if I sound too passionate here. That's why two men are going to be working in the factory. One's going to be taking one left. Two women are going to be in the bakery. And no, no idea about sexism here. They just happen to be where they work. Two women are working in the bakery. One's taken, one's left. And everybody's going to be going, what? Now, if you've seen the Left Behind series, there's always a little pile of clothes. I don't know if we're going up naked or not. I don't know how that works. We're clothed in righteousness. That much I know. And plus, we're going to be given glorified bodies. We're going to be beautiful anyway. Not that you aren't now. But even more so. Because that, all that stuff in us that's corrupt won't be hanging on us anymore. Oh, the apostle said it. Jesus said it. Be encouraged. Be encouraged by these words. The word taken in this is the word perlambano, which means to violently seize, to catch up, or to take away. This is describing the rapture, in my opinion. One snatched, one left behind. And then, and I'm going to get ready to close with this, Jesus warns the people, so you too, say it with me, must keep watch. Don't get caught off guard. Don't think, oh, the Lord will forgive me. Yeah, you're under the blood. You're, you're saved by grace, not by works. But we're called to live a different life. We are not sinners repeatedly doing things that we know breaks the heart of God. Understand this, Jesus said, if a homeowner knew exactly when a burglar was coming, he would keep watch and not permit his house to be broken into. You also must be ready all the time for the Son of Man will come when least expected. As I've said, if this is after the tribulation, we would certainly know it. It wouldn't be a surprise to us. 
That's why I believe. That's why many believe. That's why the assembly of God believes that we are going to be taken up, snatched away in the twinkling of an eye in a moment. That means fast, by the way. In a nanosecond. We're going to be here. We're going to be there with him. We're going to meet him where? In the clouds, in the air. When Jesus comes back after the tribulation, and I might pursue this further when I speak next, but I believe that's the second coming of Christ. I believe that's when he's coming back to judge the world. He is going to destroy the devil, and they're going to see him coming. This time, they don't see him coming. Nor do we, the faithful. Jesus said even he didn't know the day or the hour. It's just going to happen when the Father says, enough! Are you ready? That's the bottom line as I begin to close. Are you ready? For those who have committed their lives to Christ, this is good news. Are you with me? You will escape the devil's carnage if you keep watching, if you, you don't let your faith shrink back. But for those who have denied Christ, said they don't need a Savior, they don't need a crutch, they can do whatever they want. They're a free person, and they are. They can live in sin if they choose to, and they can. They will see what evil really is. According to prophecy scholars, fewer, few who get converted during this time are going to be successful in making it to the end. They most likely will have to give their life. I'm not going to get into how this is also the time period that uh, the Jewish people are going to come to Christ in droves. I might do that next time. But know this, and this is my prayer, that everyone listening to me today, that every person, whether in this room or online, that you're ready, that you are ready for the Master. And I put this, this game over up there, not in the sense of it's a game. I think the devil looks at it that way but in the sense that it's, it's over. Somebody won, somebody lost. We know who wins. Jesus. We know who loses. Anybody that doesn't put their faith and trust in God's Son. Would you stand with me? Jesus said in Matthew 24, 44, be ready. And you do that by praying the prayer of faith, by asking him to forgive you of your many sins. You know, I used to think, I watch children, I love kids, and I've watched them back in the nursery, and man, they are vicious. I mean, they're, they're innocent little people, right? Not. Man, I, I have seen them go after their little pal. Give me that joy. 
you know, you think that sin isn't in them? All have sinned and fall short of God's glorious standard. It's in our DNA, and the only way to correct that is to say yes to Jesus. His blood, he gives us a blood transfusion. His blood washes over us. We go from unrighteous to righteous. Just like that. But it's a, it's a choice. It is a choice. Everybody gets to make it. And here's this. When you get, to, and I'm not, I haven't talked about this, but there's a day coming called the judgment. And when Jesus judges all the sinners, we've already been taking care of the church, is in a good place. But those who never put their faith and trust in Jesus, they're going to stand before him, and he's going to look at them, and they're going to try to make all kinds of excuses. Well, my mama didn't tell me. No, 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 no. Well, I went to church. Oh, no, 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 no. Just because you're a car, I'm sorry, just because you're parked in the garage doesn't make you a car. You get what I'm saying here. You need to make that decision. You need to make that decision. You can't hinge it on what your mama did, what your daddy did. You can't say, oh, well, I, I've never done anything that horribly wrong. It don't matter. Unless you're covered in the blood, you aren't going up. Well, that's awful tough preaching, Pastor. I didn't say it. Jesus did. Unless you go through him, you can't get to the Father. Where's the Father? In heaven. So bow, heads bowed. If you're at home, I just ask you to be sensitive to what God's speaking to you right now. I want to make sure that everybody that hears my voice today, that you are ready. Because ready or not, he is coming. And I want you to be ready. I want you to avoid this, this trial that's coming on the earth, this seven-year tribulation. I want you to join all of our loved ones who have gone on before us. As they go up, we're going up with them. But for that to happen, you've got to say yes to Jesus. You've got to ask him to forgive you of your sins and make you that new person that only he can make you. So if you're here today and you'd say, Pastor Norm, I don't know if I'm ready. I'd like you to pray with me. If you're at home, raise your hand. God sees it. If you're here, raise your hand so I can see it right now. Anybody in here that needs Jesus? Yes, anybody else? You can put it down. Yes, anybody else? It's no time to be timid. Eternity hinges on your decision. Anyone else that wants to get in on this prayer? And I believe that there are many at home who would say, I'm not ready. I want to pray with you as well. So here's what we'll do as a family, because I believe we are the body of Christ. Would you join me in this prayer? 
And if you raised your hand, say this prayer loud enough so that your own ears hear you. Because I believe God is listening. He is in the house right now. And he will honor your prayer today. Heavenly Father, say this with me. On this day, October 31st, 2021, I confess my sin to you. I recognize I can't make myself better. I can't get to heaven on my own. I need, I need, I need the blood of Jesus to cleanse me of my righteousness. So today, I lift my hands to you. Wash me clean, Lord. Prepare me so that I'll be ready when that day comes and those trumpets blast and the dead in Christ rise first and then those who are left, if I'm still here, I'm going up to meet you in the air. God bless you. Thank you, Jesus. I love you. Now help me live for you. To stay true to you. To study your word. And to do what you asked me to do. Until you return, keep me, Lord. Keep me safe. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Give the Lord a hand today. If you meant business with God, He will honor that. And when that day comes, you've got nothing to worry about. You're in a good place. Your name was written in the Lamb's Book of Life. The angels in heaven are rejoicing because of you today. God bless you. Father, we thank you again for what you're doing in this church. As strong as this message was, help us to take it out to the world that needs to hear it. Lord, may it not just fall to the wayside, but may we remember it. Commit it to our hearts, Lord, to our minds. To share this strong word, Lord, with those who are lost and dying and destined to spend forever in hell. May we not be timid any longer, but may we let our light shine. To your glory, we give you all the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful, awesome, crazy week in Jesus.